My name is Rob, uh, if you don't know me, and I'm one of the members of our church here. Uh, and it's a pleasure and a privilege today to be able to open God's Word to you. Uh, I've been looking forward to it. Uh, and thank you to Joan for reading those, uh, those words. We're going to just pray, though, before we begin. Uh, I know we've already prayed, but kind of for my benefit as well, we're just going to take a moment before we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the Bible that we can read and that we can learn things about you and that we can know what it means to live with you as our King. Lord, we pray today that you would help us to be alert to your word, to recognize the importance of what we're doing, to be sincere, for our hearts to be sensitive and open and receptive to what you have to teach us. And Lord, help me to speak with humility. Take away the pride that can sometimes come from standing at the front. And Lord, I pray that as we look uh, through these uh, incidents in the life of David, I pray that I would not be the focus, but that you would be. And that we would see more of your goodness and your majesty and worship you all the more through Jesus, your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Well, yesterday, I went to Matlock for the day. Don't know whether anybody's ever been to Matlock. It was very beautiful. Uh, and me and my friends, we did a sort of impromptu 12-mile walk. <laughs> or at least, I didn't quite know that's what we were doing. I misunderstood. Uh, so I'm feeling a little bit achy today. But I don't know whether anyone's been before. We did part of the High Peak Trail. It was very lovely. And as we were wandering around and exploring Matlock and seeing the sights, I noticed the heights of Abraham. You ever heard of the heights of Abraham? Uh, they're pretty good. We didn't actually do them because we didn't have any money. Um, but instead, we just looked at them uh, and we thought that was enough. We could imagine what it would be like. But as we saw it, and we saw, you see these cable cars going up the mountain and coming down the mountain, and we're seeing the people on it, I realized that the heights of Abraham were a fantastic image for us to have in our minds as we look at this text. Which is great when illustrations just drop in your lap. So we're looking through the life of David, the great Israelite king in the Old Testament. If you've not been following our sermon series or you're a visitor today, uh, we're thinking particularly about how God uses different events in David's life to shape his character and to bring about his growth as a God-fearing and God-honoring man and king. But we enter this story at a bit of an odd moment because David has been anointed as king, but he's not yet become king. Saul is the king, and David will be the king, but not yet. So it's kind of a bit confusing, and it's very dramatic. And one of the things that the narrator is doing in this scene, in the stories that Joan just read to us, is that he is emphasizing the differences between Saul 
the king and David the soon-to-be king. If you have Bibles, it would be great to have them open. And if you turn with me, you may already still have your finger there, to chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And the very first verse that Joan read to us was, the last, was also the last verse that um, Ian preached on a few weeks ago. And 1 Samuel 16 and chapter 13 says, From that day on, that's the day of David's anointing, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. We'll think about what that means in a moment. But just look at the very next verse. Verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Can you see how clearly the narrator is setting those two together? Uh, And look again at the very last verse that Joan read in chapter 18 and verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. We see one man who is doing great things. He's walking closely with God. The Spirit of the Lord is with him, or whatever that means. And we see another man who is far away from God. The Spirit of the Lord has left him. We see one man going up and one man going down, just like a cable car. There's the little link. (laughs) One man is on spiritual growth, And the other is spiritually declining. I haven't got a clicker. Andrew is going to have to do it unless we can find one. Um, One man is spiritually declining and the other is spiritually growing. So with that in mind, what we're going to do today is going to be a touch different to what we normally do. Normally, we tend to look at one passage in the Bible. Thank you very much. And we tend to work through it like quite systematically. We'll kind of look at different points in the Bible and we'll come up with applications. But today we're going to look at a whole range of different verses from chapter 15 all the way through to chapter 18 with the intention of tracing this theme of Saul's decline and David's growth. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the basic where we're going to go. But before we do that, I'd like us to just see a little bit of the sense and the flow of the story so that we don't get lost. So let me just do that very quickly. You don't need to follow this with me. Um, But in chapter 15, which we haven't preached on, we started in chapter 16 a few weeks ago. In chapter 15, Saul is commanded by God to go and destroy an evil group of people called the Amalekites. And Saul does go and defeat them, but instead of destroying them, he takes plunder from them. Uh, And this is a great disobedience, according to chapter 15. And as a result, Saul is utterly rejected as king. Uh, in, In chapter 16, the prophet Samuel is then grieving for Saul's failure, but God commands him to go to Bethlehem and to anoint a new king, which turns out to be the runt of the litter, David, as we saw two weeks ago. Uh, and then in 16, chapter 16 and verse 14 to 23, which Joan read to us, we get this somewhat strange, strange section where David is brought before Saul uh, 
to relieve him of this evil spirit? We're going to think about that a little bit towards the end. And then in chapter 17, as we've seen last week, David, a young David defeats the Philistine Goliath, displaying a great trust in God and a desire for God's glory to be affirmed. And then finally, in chapter 18, we see David's great success. He's growing. We see Saul's increasing jealousy and anger. And we see Saul attempt to kill David right at the end of where our passage finishes today. And so the plan for this sermon, very simply, is to draw out some applications from David's growth and Saul's decline. So let's dive straight in by looking at where those two things, uh, declining and growing, begin. How they begin. I've stuck some, because we're jumping around a little bit, I've stuck some of the verses on the sheet for you. Uh, So if you mishear me or you get lost, that's where the place is where we're going to go. And so let's start off by just looking at chapter 15 and verse 18 to 19. Because here we see Samuel rebuking Saul for disobeying God. And he says, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But in some ways, as we read this, we might think that Saul's sin is not really that bad. He doesn't commit murder. He doesn't commit adultery. And we might be forgiven for thinking that Saul's action was acceptable. He chose to take plunder from the Amalekites, which was a perfectly normal thing to do at this time. Saul himself, in verse 20, even seems to think that what he did was a good thing. He says to Samuel, but I did obey the Lord, and I was planning on sacrificing the plunder to God. So we might think that Saul is doing something godly here. But the important point to notice is that God gave Saul a specific command and Saul made a rational and even a better choice, but one that was a direct disobedient action. God was mightily displeased with Saul because his actions showed how he was thinking more about being an earthly king than listening carefully and obeying God's commandments. And how often is this the case for us too? We know that God gives clear commands, and yet when we think like humans, we rationalize and make our disobedience seem a bit more acceptable. We know the big sins, and we don't really do them, but we find small ways of rejecting God's rule. I might say to myself, and I've been challenged by this as I've prepared this talk, because I do this a lot, I have loads of work to do today, and I'm really busy. So I'm kind of just going to rush through my Bible reading, because that's not that important. And God won't mind, because he likes it when we work hard. That's a kind of rationalization where we say, I know better than God. And Saul here is refusing to allow God to be king over every detail of his life. And we see Saul's desire to be king and not God rearing its ugly head later on in chapter 18 
and verse 8, where Saul, racked with jealousy at David's successes, cries out in verse 8, what more can he get but the kingdom? But the kingdom was never David's or Saul's to get. They were to be stewards of God's kingdom. And Saul here is a man who is clutching at power, desperately holding on, wanting to, to, to hold on to the kingship and not allow God's choice to be the defining thing in his life. So my first point to you is that a Christian's decline begins, very simply, by rejecting God's kingship. It's seeking to go our own way and hold on to our power rather than committing all things to God. By contrast, David in chapter 17, as we saw last week, displays himself as a, a man of great trust in God. Ben uh, brought, brought out powerfully David's motivation being the affirmation of God's glory. Uh, and we see in, in, in chapter 17 and verse 37 that David was a man who trusted in God's deliverance. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. And as David prepares to go to battle against Goliath without any armor or any real weapons, what he says to Goliath is, you come to me with sticks and with spears and with swords, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. David is a man who knows that his strength is from God and he's trusting in him. Sometimes we can think that a Christian is the one, who is growing is the one who does the most amazing things or, or who prays the loudest and the longest or who gives the most money or does the most charity work. But our Christian lives are not based on big successes. We don't do a bunch of things and then think, yeah, we're growing. <laughs> Christian growth begins by trusting in God's provision and God's goodness and God's kingship. It starts by casting everything on God, the antithesis really of Saul's holding on to power. Does that make sense? So that's the beginnings of Christian decline and uh, Christian growth. But let's see now how it develops in the lives of Saul and David. As we've already said, Saul's actions in, in, in chapter 15 were, in a certain sense, quite small. There are far greater things that Christians could get wrong, aren't there, than taking plunder from the Amalekites. <laughs> One commentator even calls Saul's sin a polite sin, which is a, quite a nice phrase in a way. Uh, it's a sin where it looks like he's doing the right thing, and we might even think he's doing a good job, but his heart is in the wrong place. And clearly for Saul, there isn't one big moment of rebellion Saul doesn't do one big action and God says to him, right, that's it, it's all over, you're out, you've crossed a line. God does reject Saul after this action, but Saul's decline is then a gradual slipping into greater and greater sin 
and his later actions really confirm God's rejection of him. His heart, from the beginning, was in the wrong place. And so that's the thing I want us to see now. A Christian who is in spiritual decline, that is gradual and progressive. It gets worse. Saul's moment of disobeying God in chapter 15 lays the seeds for great sinful behavior later on. I really love and have been... Um, affected by this metaphor of seeds. It's as if the ground is ready for seed planting, and by disobeying God early on, Saul is planting seeds that are going to grow up and become trees or fruit that are, are, are evil. And you might not yet know it at the start, but it's clear at the end. In chapter 17 and verse 11, we see Saul terrified of Goliath. It's not a sin to be afraid, but it is when God commands us to trust in him, as Saul was supposed to do as king of the Israelites. And Saul's rejection of God's rule in chapter 15 leads leads to his failure to be an effective and godly king at a crisis point in chapter 17. And it gets worse, really, for Saul, because in chapter 18, Saul then becomes consumed with anger and with jealousy in verse 8. And it's clear that his small sin in chapter 15 has provided a fertile ground for the devil to trip him up later on. Saul is just simply unable to meet David as God's chosen king because he's already decided way back in chapter 15 that he is king, not God. And his anger and his jealousy take a very dark turn. Uh, And in verse 11, he attempts to murder David of chapter 18. And much of the rest of Saul's tragic life, uh, as we will see as we partly as we go through the next few chapters, are are marked by this increasing degeneration into being consumed by sin. It it really is one of the saddest depictions in the whole of Scripture. And what I want us to see very clearly here is that rejecting God in the small things, not recognizing God as king in the smaller details of our lives, is an exceedingly dangerous thing to do because it reveals where our hearts are and makes it far easier for the devil to win bigger battles. If you want to honor, if you want to dishonor God in the big things, fail to honor him in the small, everyday, seemingly insignificant moments. Uh, I've been really convicted of this in my own life. It's a strange thing to preach a sermon of sort of challenge when you feel challenged yourself. But how often do I find that the Bible, reading the Bible, is just not that important? Or bringing things to God in prayer is just something I can do really quickly before I get on to something else? Or or how often do I find myself watching TV and something comes on and I think, I shouldn't watch that, but I think, God doesn't mind telly, and I keep it on, and then I sin later on because of it? Or I make a crude joke amongst my friends and I think, well, God likes it when when we're laughing, that's fine. And I think it's not that bad, but my speech is not seasoned with salt. Honor God in the small, and you will be successful in the big. I think is what we're learning from the life of Saul here. 
But what might be the mark of a Christian in growth then? What, what do we learn from David? How does David's story develop here? Well, what I want us to see from David's life is that Christian growth involves both success and failure. In chapter 18 and verse 5, we see David being incredibly successful in everything that he does. He's so successful that Saul gives him a high rank in the army. And we must not be doom and gloom Christians. When a Christian is living in God's presence, when, when a Christian is living with the Spirit of the Lord, things can be expected to go well. We, this is not a form of prosperity gospel. We, we know that from the Bible and from real life that when we become Christians, things can go wrong. Of course they can. Our lives don't fall into perfect harmony. But when we live as a Christian, when we live with God as our king, there is wisdom for complex decisions. There is strength for difficult tasks. There is peace for potentially overwhelming obstacles. And God's laws and God's rules are good for us. Our marriages are happier when God is our first love. Our parenting is better when God is king over our families. Our studies are better when it's not the most important thing we're doing. Our work is better when we know who we're working for. We rest well, we socialise well, we work well, we play well when we're walking closely with God. And that is a mark of a growing Christian. But so too, in David's life and in our lives, are there difficulties. We said a few weeks ago that whenever God's presence comes, hardship almost immediately follows. And this is very much the case here. The spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon David and his life quickly goes downhill. <laughs> he must have been wondering what on earth God was doing. He's just been anointed as king of the Israelites and, and almost immediately he's forced to go on the run because the current king of the Israelites is trying to kill him. And as we see, this goes on for years. Maybe you've just taken a job that you've really prayed about and you really felt God's blessing and the role has turned out to be a disaster. Maybe you've just started a new relationship with someone and you've found it's actually been really difficult and not at all what you expected. Maybe you feel you're doing well at honouring God in your life and yet hardship just keeps piling up on you. These are marks of a healthy, growing Christian. It is a mark that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you and empowering you to face these challenges that are real to our lives. Praise God. So I want us to take these two points from what it looks like to be a declining Christian or a struggling Christian and a growing Christian. A Christian's decline is gradual and progressive, so take care to honour God in the small details of our lives. And a Christian's growth is marked by both successes and difficulties. So be encouraged. Finally, let us look now at how these journeys end for these characters before we offer some concluding thoughts. 
Saul's life in these chapters is incredibly painful for us to witness. Because at the root of all of Saul's problems is the departure of the Spirit of the Lord. The utter trauma for a Christian in decline is the lack of God's Spirit and God's presence. And that is a deeply lonely place to be. In chapter 16, we see that this is described as an evil spirit tormenting Saul. And it's impossible to face any of life's challenges in this state. In chapter 17, as we've seen, Saul attempts to fight the Philistines like this, and it leaves him dismayed and terrified in verse 11, and all the people under his command running around in fear, verse 24. Life is simply too hard to face without God's presence. And Saul found that out with great personal trauma. And sadly, as we learn from the life of Saul, that is where the journey of someone in decline ends, being deeply, profoundly alone. It is only by the grace of God that we don't feel like that and God, that God is with us. By contrast, one who is a growing Christian is marked by enjoying spending time with God and recognizing that this is the end goal. Saul was a man clutching at power, grasping at a kingship that was never his to grasp. But David is a man who recognizes that quiet, sincere servitude to God is the highest joy. And that he was made to spend time in God's presence and with God's spirit. That's why we get this repeated idea that the Lord was with David, that the spirit of the Lord came on David. A growing Christian recognizes that the apex of Christian living is not doing everything right or being super spiritual, but being blessed daily by God's presence as we navigate through life. And that's actually where a Christian's journey ends, an eternity spent in joyful communion and worship of God. Let me offer some concluding thoughts, but I don't want to mislead you because I've kind of got a page and a half on my conclusion. So. This is a deeply, deeply challenging text, I think, because in many ways we read it and we come away from it thinking, man, I hope I'm not a soul. Most of us recognize in our own lives elements of failure and brokenness. But most of us would hope, if hope is the right word, that we're not on Saul's path. For those of us that are particularly sensitive to this, this could be a passage that causes crushing despair because we think, well, what about if the Lord's presence departs from me? We see too much of ourselves in Saul. And I initially had an introduction in this sermon that attempted to grapple with the question of whether we can lose our salvation. Because Saul is a man for whom that seems to happen. And this text could be deeply, deeply crushing if we already struggle with that problem. We're going to see 
some answers, I hope. But do come and chat afterwards if that's something that you really struggle with, because this is a hard text in many ways. But it's designed to be, I think, a challenge to those of us, which is all of us, myself included, who think that we don't have to give all of our lives to God as king. Who think that small moments of disobedience don't matter. Who think that a life without God is more joyful and more satisfying than a life with. And Saul's life functions tragically in the Bible as a warning for us. And David's life is an example of what our Christian lives should be, trusting in God as king and obeying him in the small, being blessed by God's spirit in times of great joy and success and times of trial, and recognizing that the end goal of a Christian is joyful communion with God. Where where are you today? Which of these resonates with you? For most of us, as it does, I would expect, as it is for me, it's something of a mixture. We recognize elements in our lives that are David-like, but we also know all too well that there are areas that are Saul-like. So my question for our conclusion is, how do we have healing if we are a Saul? All of us at times feel like our Christian lives are struggling, not always. But when that does happen, where do we go? How can we be comforted by this passage and not crushed and recognize that our salvation is not lost? How how can we read this passage and think, am I a soul? Is the Spirit of the Lord going to depart from me any moment because I'm struggling? Well, Turn back with me to chapter 16. We've not spent tons of time there. Uh, And this kind of strange moment that Joan read to us where the spirit of the Lord comes, uh, departs from Saul uh, and then David comes and plays his liar. I don't really know what a liar is. Uh, and, 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 And all of a sudden, Saul is relieved. What is going on here? Why is this section in the Bible? Here we see Saul in the grips of a trauma, described here as an evil spirit, but don't get too hung up on the fact that it's an evil spirit from God. Uh, I think this is just simply a, a spiritual and mental turmoil that is the product of God's departure in Saul's life. But what I would like us to see here very clearly is that the remedy for Saul's pain Saul is a declining, uh, spiritually declining man. The remedy for his pain is David. Look at verse 23 uh, of chapter 16. Whenever the spirit from God comes upon Saul, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. What a strange verse. The application, I think, to draw out here is that peace and solace for a struggling Christian does not come from sorting one's life out and getting it all right, but from being back in God's presence and from being with people who have God's presence. When we're struggling as Christians, we don't pick ourselves up and grit our teeth and start getting it right. 
Or when we feel the presence of the Lord departing, whatever that sort of enigmatic phrase might mean, we don't run after it saying, oh no, look, look, there's a bit of my life that I'm doing really well at. Come back. In a paradoxical sort of way, when we feel the spirit of the Lord departing, the answer is to be in the presence of the Lord. That is where pain is relieved. For Saul... The horror of the evil spirit is abated when David plays his harp because David is a man of God and God's presence is exactly what Saul needs because God has left him. Are you struggling today as a Christian? Do you come to this text and feel, I'm a Saul? Because if you do, you're in the right place. Very often the presence of God or of other Christians is too painful for us to bear if we're struggling because pride kicks in and we think, I don't want them to see me struggling. Or jealousy kicks in and we think, I don't, I, why are they not struggling but I am? The last thing I desire to do when I'm struggling with sin in my private life is come to God in prayer. More often, I tend to wait a day or two before I feel a bit better, and then I come to God in prayer. But this passage teaches us to lay aside those jealousies and to recognize that relief comes from being in God's presence, and by extension, God's people, his church, his family. But let me clarify how it is that God's presence is a relief to struggling Christians. I've stuck that up there, how it's healed. The spirit of the Lord coming upon David refers, I think, to God's presence, but it also refers to, to, to like a, a synergy. It, it means that David and the Lord were walking together in the same direction. And Saul, by contrast, was, was in the opposite direction. He was rebelling. But there has only ever been one human being who has ever lived in complete harmony with the Spirit of God. Even David, with his many successors, was a man who did terrible and evil things in his life. In some ways, far worse than Saul here. In fact, in Psalm 51 and verse 11, after great sin, David cries out to God that he would not take his spirit away from him, even though he knows he deserves it. So I could preach this passage and say, be like David, but David is a man who knows that the spirit of the Lord could depart from him. There is only one man who has lived in harmony with God's spirit. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 22, you don't need to turn there, this man, like all men following God, was baptized. And as this was happening, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on this man and a voice came from heaven that said, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This man lived a life in complete harmony with the Spirit of the Lord. And all of our marks of a healthy, growing Christian may apply to this man. He trusted in God completely and gave up everything in obedience to him. He honoured God in the small aspects of human living and he trusted God through great successes and trials. 
Where all other humans have faltered, this man succeeded. And yet, he was placed on a cross to die as a common criminal. In doing so, taking all of our sins and failures upon himself and clothing us in his righteous goodness. Don't be like Saul in this passage. Saul is a warning to us. But equally, although David is a great example, don't be like him either. Trust in Jesus, who is the greater David. Why is God's presence not a burden to us, but a joy? Because when we enter into God's presence through Jesus' death on the cross, all of our failings, our weaknesses, our struggles, our stumbles, our lack of trust, our soul-like behaviors are taken off our shoulders and we are clothed in righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. Jesus died so that we can enjoy the fullest communion with God as our Father and as our King. We are not cast from the kingdom when we approach God in humble repentance, and we can have confidence that the Spirit of the Lord will not depart from us when we approach God with this kind of repentance. Incidentally, this is why David's presence to Saul eventually became terribly burdensome, because Saul was ultimately unrepentant. And the presence of a man of God was therefore not a means of grace to Saul, but utterly odious. Friends, how do you know you're not a Saul? Because you're worried that you might be a Saul, which is an attitude of repentance. Saul was never worried that he was a Saul. Saul was just increasingly angry and bitter and jealous and unrepentant. Friends, are you a struggling Christian today? Do not leave here despairing and feeling crushed because you're not a David. Flee to the foot of the cross where Jesus' blood enables you to live a life closely walking with the Father and with the Father looking on you and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Maybe you, are, you feel like you are a growing Christian today. And we do go through times where we feel like we're doing well. Praise God that he sends his spirit to empower you to walk with him. And long may that continue. Continue to fix your eyes on the cross, knowing that it is not all in your strength, but it is in Jesus' strength that we live like David. And maybe today you are not a Christian Maybe you've come to our church and you are interested in Christianity, or maybe you are angry at Christianity. Be challenged by Saul's despair here. Without God, this man had nowhere to turn. And for a soul that is unrepentant, a soul that is rejecting God, life's challenges are too hard, too great a burden to bear, But God is equally no comfort either. There is no place for the one who rejects the Lord, but despair. Turn to Jesus and find the turmoil of an unrepentant soul relieved and be welcomed into the joy of communion with God our Father.